scripture lesson for this fourth Sunday in the season of Lent. Lent four, right? I'm supposed to know that, but um, <laughs> Lent four uh, comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter eight, verses twenty-six through thirty-nine. Listen now for God's word to you. Then Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine were feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter those. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they saw Jesus... And they found the man whom the demons had gone out of sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So they got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the final days of Denver's old Stapleton Airport, a crowded United flight was suddenly canceled, and so all of the passengers had to get off the plane, and they had to go rebook their flights. We've all had that horrible experience, right? Uh, there was a, a lone agent left there to book, rebook all of these flights for the people, so this long line started. So she was patiently going through each and every one of the people who needed to rebook, and when suddenly a really disgruntled and angry passenger walked up, slammed his ticket on the counter, and said, I have to be on this flight, and it has to be first class. We've all encountered passengers like that too, haven't we? And the, the booking agent kept her cool and she said, you know, sir, I'd love to help you, but I have to help all these other people first. But he wasn't impressed. He screamed for everyone in the terminal to hear, do you have any idea who I am? The booking agent, without missing a beat, took the, the PA microphone and said, can I have your attention? Her voice reverberating throughout the entire terminal. Can I have your attention? There seems to be a passenger up here who doesn't know who he is. If anyone can help him find his identity, please come to the booking terminal. I'm running out of dad jokes, guys. Um, yeah, bring him, let me, let me make a copy of those. <laughs> so we meet a man today, Jesus meets a man today that doesn't know who he is. He has lost all sense of himself. He has 
lost all sense of himself so much so that he doesn't even know his name. The story that we have encountered here this morning is a story that's known as Jesus' encounter with the Gerasene demoniac, which is really fun to say, the Gerasene demoniac. Uh, Gerasene, because Jesus is in the region of the Gerasenes, so the region of the Gerasenes is just on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Sea of Galilee is up in the northern part of, uh, of Galilee. Um, you think about last week we were in Capernaum. Capernaum's kind of on the north shore of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the region of the Gerasenes is kind of south of that, south and east of that. Um, remember, Jesus doesn't spend a whole lot of time beyond the boundary of his own people. Uh, he spends most of his time ministering among the Jewish people. But here we are in Gentile territory for the first time in the Gospel of Luke. And that should be really clear to us because there's the presence of pigs in this story. We're not among uh, the Jewish people. But even though Jesus is beyond the boundary of his own people, the result is really the same, that as Jesus steps off the boat, he is immediately met by human need. A man runs screaming to him and his disciples, a man who the people in that uh, region would have described as being possessed by a demon. So that completes the title of the story. This is a man who's a demoniac. We have the Gerasene demoniac. And um, I've lost my spot. <laughs> we have the Gerasene demoniac. So I'm going to... I have a new child. I'm going to blame it on that. Um, <laughs> so Luke describes him as a man of the city, but the city is like 37 miles from where Jesus is at this point in the story. So this is a man who is far away from uh, the place that he's from. He lives among the tombs. He doesn't have any clothing. So this is a man who is suffering greatly. The sense is that he's demonically possessed, according to the people in that culture, but it's greater than just a singular demon possession. It's bigger than anything that Jesus perhaps has encountered before. Uh, we even get a sense in the story that, that Jesus commands the demon to come out of the man, but the demon remains. So there's something bigger going on here. This is a man who is suffering uh, greatly. Uh, but where G the other townspeople have been afraid of this man, where they have chained him and shackled him and kept him under guard, Jesus stands there and he remains unafraid. He remains unmoved. And he asks the man what maybe seems like a really simple question. He says, what is your name? It's a simple question, but perhaps there's a, a profound depth to it. How many people in the years that this man has been suffering wanted to know this man's name? How many people wanted to get close enough to know who he was I imagine that they would draw straws to see whose turn it was to chain him up after he broke the bonds the last time. Perhaps he was like the, the woman who lived on the street from my house growing up, the woman who got into shouting matches with her adult son on a regular basis, and the police would be called on them to break up the argument. And um, whenever she would come down the street, we were always afraid of her, so we'd go hide in the garage until she passed by. And whenever we would ride our bikes past her house, we'd take a wide berth into the street to avoid her. It's not that she was bad, she was just really different for our suburban cul-de-sac life. And we all knew what her name was, but we referred to her as the crazy lady. Um, so I wonder if this man was called the crazy man, this man who's suffering greatly in, in body and in spirit. And um, that question, what is your name, has an even greater depth to it than just uh, Jesus getting close to him. Because remember, in the, in the Bible, names signify identity. They signify character. So there's that famous story where Moses encounters uh, God in the burning bush. And 
And Moses asks God, what is your name? He's not just asking, what should I call you? He's asking, what is your character? What is your identity? And, and God, of course, gives that kind of elusive, vague answer. I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. I will, you will know me by the things that I do. So when Jesus asks this man, what is your name? I think he's asking him, who are you really? Who are you beyond the suffering that you are enduring? Who are you beyond the social isolation that you are experiencing? Who are you really? What is your name? And of course, the answer that the man gives is legion. But that's not his actual name. It's not like his mother wrote legion on his birth certificate. Legion is the the name of the Roman military unit, the large military unit, the main unit in the Roman military. Legions were the ones who had conquered the ground on which Jesus and this man are standing currently. Legions were the ones that were the occupation force. So what this man is naming is his suffering, his suffering experience at the hands of the Roman occupation. What's more is that the standard for the Roman legion in that part of the world was the wild boar. So you have a lot of stuff going on here in this story. This man has no sense of himself apart from his suffering, apart from the things that he is enduring. When Jesus asks him, who are you really? He gives the name of the thing that is afflicting him. He has lost all sense of himself. He has lost all sense of his own identity. He doesn't even know his name. The man has created what psychologists and spiritual guides call the false self. Uh, The false self is an idea that was developed among spiritual teachers, uh, first among Thomas Merton. So Thomas Merton was a Christian Trappist monk who lived in the early and mid-20th century. He started to develop the idea of the false self, and then the counterpart of that is the true self. Um, Then you have a more contemporary version, Richard Rohr, a Franciscan friar. He's still around. He's a really popular writer. And then you have another Trappist monk named Thomas Keating, who is a more contemporary example as well, but he died a few years ago. And they all have this understanding of the true and the false self, and they all kind of use it in their own sort of ways. But where they all intersect, what they have in common, is that the false self is a sense of identity, a sense of self that is developed apart from God's love. Uh, Thomas Merton says this, My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality and outside of life, And as such, it cannot help but be an illusion. So this false self is an illusion. It's not who we truly and actually are. But the question is, how does the the false self develop? Um, And and this, I think, is where uh, Thomas Keating, we have to try and keep all these Trappist monks named Thomas in order here this morning. (laughs) Your eyes are rolling back in your head. Uh, (laughs) Which is not a great sign for the rest of the sermon. (laughs) yeah, that's, well, that's always a positive. Thomas Keating. So Thomas Keating talks about the false self being the wounded self. So the false self develops out of the wounds that we experience throughout our lives. So, for example, a young boy overhears his father say, I wish he was more like his brother. Um, the, the young boy absorbs this, internalizes this, goes throughout his life. He maybe doesn't even remember this episode happening But yet, throughout his entire life, he has been seeking experiences and a sense of identity that makes him more like his brother, even though that may not be who he truly is. 
Or for, for folks who, who grew up in houses where they, they feel like that they're, they're worthless, they have a low sense of self-worth, they might live their entire lives trying to make themselves as small as possible in social situations, or they might hide behind humor, never letting anyone get close. These are the, the class clowns. These might be, be people who spend their entire lives addicted to achievement because they can prove that themselves to be worthy. Or people who, uh, who are given unreasonable standards for perfection whether it be grades or career paths, they, they might grow up thinking that they're only okay if they're perfect. These false selves that develop from the wounds that we experience. I'll never forget my own experience with the false self, and um, I'll be a little vulnerable here and tell my own personal story about all of this, but um, for as long as I can remember, I have struggled with incredible amounts of anxiety. Um, Anxiety, depression, those have kind of been the things that I've struggled with throughout my life. Mostly it's been um, anxiety. And as I've gotten older, I, I've learned that a lot of people suffer and struggle with that. But as I was growing up, I sort of made that a part of who I was. I internalized that and said that anxiety is part of my identity. It's who I am. So I struggled with that most of my life. I went to seminary in my mid to late 20s. First semester went great of my first year. Second semester, I started to have really severe uh, anxiety again. So much so that I started to have panic attacks for the first time, um, sometimes in the classroom, which is not a great place to have that. Um, and so for the first time, I decided to seek help. Um, started going to therapy. I went to the doctor. I had to fill out this little questionnaire, which is always fun. Um, and she said, you have generalized anxiety disorder. And I said, you know, for the first time in my life, that was really a freeing thing for me because I, for so long, had made this a part of who I was. I had constructed this false self. And for the first time, I said, this is something that I struggle with, but it doesn't define who I am. The false self, the illusions about who I had told myself I was had, been, uh, gone, had gone away. And when I think about the life of Jesus... I think so much of what he does is he has come into the world to help dispel the illusions, the false selves, the lies that we live with. So he, he comes into the world and he dispels the lies about those who are so-called outcasts and sinners. We heard that last week and says, they're actually my family. Or he dispels the lies and the illusions about, um, about those who are called the least of these and says, they're actually me in disguise. Or he dispels the lies and the illusions about violence and retribution, says forgiveness and reconciliation is the way forward. He dispels the lies of empire and says justice and equity, that's the things that move the world forward. And he dispels the lies and the illusions that we live with that we, about ourselves, the things that we tell ourselves about ourselves. The false selves, the, the wounds and the injuries that lie beneath the surface, the, the part of yourself that you hide away, the, the part of ourselves that tell us that we're not worthy or lovable or good enough or perfect enough or beautiful enough or whatever it might be. And Jesus calls all of that your false self. But Jesus doesn't just reveal the false self. What good would that be, right? If he just showed us the lie. He comes also to show us the true self. He comes to show us who we actually are. And the true self is the one who is loved and accepted and worthy. And so as Jesus stands there on the lakeshore with this man, the man who is called the, the Gerasene demoniac, the one that even the subtitle in our Bibles calls the Gerasene demoniac, Jesus says that's not who he actually is. He's not actually legion. 
but there is a true self that is hidden beneath the suffering and the pain and the heartache and all the things that he has gone through. And, and Jesus has come to, to show him that. In that question, what is your name? Who are you really? And Jesus still asks us that question, who are you really? What is your name? Richard War says that, that who we are actually is life and being and love. He says that, that God has given us a soul. It's the unique blueprint of what makes us us. Thomas Merton says this, To say that I am made in the image of God is to say that love is the reason for my existence, for God is love. Love is my true identity. Selflessness is my true self. Love is my true character. Love is my name. Our name is love. That is who we actually are. That is who Jesus has come to show this man who he actually is. And I think part of the work of faith is dusting off the blueprint of what makes us our unique self and, and living fully into that that Jesus is inviting us into that inward journey of discovering who we really are behind the illusions that we have told ourselves, the lies that we have told ourselves, the masks that we think that we need to wear. Jesus says, who you really are is love. He has come to show us that real person. And so as Jesus stands there on the lake shore with this man, uh, there's, there's this event of healing that takes place. And, you know, there's that grand spectacle event where the demons go into the pigs and it's exciting and all that sort of thing. And maybe Peter has some things to say about it. But, um, but I think what happens beyond that sort of spectacle event, you have this man who is restored back to himself. He's sitting there back in his right mind, restored back to who he actually is. And I wish, again, we have a character here in the Gospels. I wish we knew his actual name. He calls himself Legion, but I wish we knew at the end of the story what his actual name was. And so as we continue on in this Lenten journey, as we continue on towards the cross and the resurrection, there is still that opportunity for us to take stock of our lives, to explore in our lives, where are there lies that we have internalized about ourselves? What things have been said about us that maybe don't reflect who we truly and actually are? An opportunity for us to, to live fully into our truest selves, because what's amazing to me in this story is that after this man is healed, after he is restored back to himself, he wants to, to go with Jesus. He wants to be one of his disciples. But, but Jesus says, no, you need to go and tell other people what has happened. You go back to where you uh, came from and go and tell them all the good things that God has done. So his ability to reflect the love and grace that Jesus gave to him depends on him discovering his truest self. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I, and I don't mean this in a sappy and saccharine way, but literally nobody can reflect the love and grace of God the way that you can. That each one of us is unique in our blueprints, and the love and grace of God reflects through us in a unique way that it reflects through nobody else. And the ability to do that, I think, depends upon us discovering who we truly are the true us that lies beneath the surface of all the wounds that we have received in life. Jesus is still asking us that question, what is your name? Who are you really? And the answer, I think, is that we are loved and that we are loved. Thanks be to God. Amen.